With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome in, everyone, to The Deciding Point, our Cracked Rackets recap of the biggest storylines going on right now in the professional tennis world. Joining me to break down all of the action as he has throughout the course of this show, you know him as our Cracked Rackets do everything, forefather of the forehand slice, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, another great week of professional tennis, right? Absolutely, and uh, as the listeners and now viewers know, uh, weekly update for my USTA league. Uh, I did not play yesterday, but my team still got the win, so still happy here. No, that's the content that came here for. I'm glad you got that out of the way in the first two minutes. In case, though, this is your first time tuning into the show, not only are we going to talk about Jamie's tennis experiences, we're going to break down the five biggest storylines in our five deciding points. Of course, our last topic going to be a little bit of fun relating to the biggest things going on right now in the professional tennis world. With that in mind, let's start today's show. All right, Jamie, the first thing I want to talk about this week, we had our final WTA tournament of this 2020 season, the action wrapping up in Linz, and unlike so many other events throughout the course of this season, we had fairly few upsets on the week, and in fact, it was our top two seeds, Arena Sabalenka, Elisa Mertens, facing off in the final. Ultimately, it was Sabalenka, too much firepower, 7-5-6-2. Now, I believe, Jamie, she ends this season on a 10-match winning streak, back-to-back titles, first in Ostrava now here in Lynn she'll end the year in the top 10 your thoughts on her performance and then the rest of the action we saw this week in Linz. yeah I mean look she's just looked so good and again not to credit ourselves too much but we saw this coming right Sabalenka was just looking too good Mertens was looking great coming out of the bottom half of the draw but Sabalenka just too strong on these indoor hard courts and with the back-to-back tournaments you just mentioned I mean she's just proven to us why she is such a force especially on a court um, that can really play well with her pace and you know today's final was no exception Mertens did some great stuff and hung in there but realistically this final was all on Sabalenka's racket and um, she really ran away with it in the second set to seal it. The big stat for me for Sabalenka all week, she was over 70% in her last three matches in terms of conversion rate on her first serve. And when she's making that first serve, she just gets to impose her will with the rest of her game. Obviously, she's so powerful off both wings in terms of her ground strokes. We've seen her have success in doubles. That's a testament to her willingness and capability to have success when moving forward. And in this match, look, the first set was a phenomenal level of tennis worthy of a year-end final, right? This wasn't the W. WTA Tour Finals. This match certainly could have been Mertens, your WTA leader in wins during this 2020 season. She played a phenomenal set of tennis, took so many risks, took balls early down the line, uh, unleashed pace. I didn't know she had in her, Jamie, but yeah, Sabalenka, it was just relentless power over and over again. We've seen it these past two weeks. Indoor hard courts, I don't know if you're going to find a more dangerous opponent. Certainly Osaka, you know, Andrescu equally as dangerous, Serena Williams, but 
Sabalenka right up there in terms of firepower as well. And she ends this year again with back-to-back titles inside the top 10 and certainly a player all of us will have circled as someone to watch when the action resumes in Australia. And of course, with that in mind, let's get to topic number two, Jamie. We enter this 2020 offseason for the WTA. It was another year that saw so much parity, right? Iga Sviantek emerging with a slam title at the French Open. Of course, Sophia Kennan starting things off with a title in Australia. And then Naomi Osaka winning her third slam in New York. A lot of question marks heading into the offseason. So many players, it feels like, on the cusp of accomplishing some really special things over the course of the next few seasons. With that in mind, let's have some fun. If you were on the free agency market, Jamie, you obviously you are booked up with us here at Cracked Rackets, but hypothetically, Dalton says, hey, you can have a one-year sabbatical to go coach any player on the WTA Tour, both this offseason and throughout the 2021 year. Who would you pick and make the case? Yeah, I mean, this pick actually was pretty easy for me. I think it's got to be Yastrzemska. Um, you know, we've seen her go on an, on an unfortunate but negative slide um, in the last handful, several tournaments that she's played. And for somebody of her caliber and her talent, it's just at this point, I mean, look, we just can't be doing that, right? So we need a new coach to get in there. And hey, it's me. Uh, but no, I mean, look, she is she's young. So she has a phenomenal um, sort of outlook and career ahead of her if things get you know on the right path. She is so talented and has so much firepower. Realistically, this is a top 10 player who's fallen. He was just way outside of that, and I think that could be remedied. Um, she's just incredibly fun. And, yeah, she has the the weird situation with sort of the interesting social media tiff uh, with her now ex-coach. Uh, but, hey, I'll brush by all of that, and we'll focus on the tennis. But I, I think that would be a really fun one. No, this could be a fun moment for the show. Right now, Westhoff can put a photo of Sasha Bajin over my face, can keep you up on the screen as well. And just a comparison, I think you guys are equally handsome. Certainly, you're probably a little bit more muscular, but he could do some, you know, a few weeks in the gym. But yeah, what I love about the mindset, and obviously, look, to say, hey, go coach a professional right now, it sounds hyperbolic. I trust your tennis mind. Certainly, you played a really high level of college tennis. You have competed and played the sport. Again, you've seen a lot of different scenarios, but a player I would throw out there, Sabalenka wouldn't be bad, right, either. She's probably a little bit more refined version of Yastrzemska. I think I'd have to go with Layla Fernandez, though, right now, the young Canadian so successful this year. A, is there a sweeter, you know, uh, more innocent, it seeming uh, player right now on tour. She just seems like she would be so responsive, so willing to do whatever it takes to get the most out of her tennis game. Obviously, that's the sort of player anyone would want to work with. And then part B, it's just the amount of different things she can do. Such a great athlete, so many different skills from the baseline, a willingness to move forward. Obviously, her best year still ahead of her as well. It could be, you know, a 10-year successful partnership. That would be an option for me. Your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good one. Look, any listener or viewer now who, who's watching <laughs> yeah. this with us. No bad knows, choices. <laughs> yeah, yes. And also, they've heard you talk about Fernandez for many, many, many podcasts. True. So I'm not surprised <laughs> at all you went in this direction. And hey, let's make it happen, right? Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Well, then with that in mind, let's switch gears as we still have one more week of ATP action, the year-end finals 
the conclusion of our 2020 season. Of course, we've got the top eight players in the world in action. Sons, Roger Federer, but Diego Schwartzman, his replacement should be a really fun event. But before we can talk about that, we had one last ATP 250. And seemingly, it, this seems very, very fitting, Jamie. It was Yannick Sinner, who has been just one of the breakout stars over these past 15 months of tour actions, ascends up the challenger ranks, has success at the 250 level at the end of last season. Obviously, that culminated with a next-gen championship. Now, he ends this season almost one year exactly later with his first ATP 250 ATP level crown of his career. Of course, he's the first player born in 2001 to earn an ATP title. He's inside the top 50 now in such striking position entering the 2021 season. Your thoughts on young Yannick Sinner's performance here since the restart in August? I mean, listen, he's just done such a phenomenal job of, you know, keeping a great attitude and doing what he needs to on the court. You know, there's, he's just had such a nice, steady progression. And that's not to say that it hasn't been a great ascension because it certainly has. But, you know, in the last couple of years, we've been talking about this guy. Hey, look, he's real talented. Watch out. Can, you know, can he keep on this path? And, and sure enough, he comes out with his 2020 restart and that's exactly what he does. And so I've just been so impressed by his ability to stay the course um, and really come up with big results because you and I have talked about this. Hey, it's one thing to be the underdog who's talented, the young guy comes up with a, uh, a couple flashy results here and there. It's a whole other thing to sustain that and then become the favorite and still win matches, and in this case, a title. So really impressed with the young Italian and look, only poised for good things come 2021 completely agree with you. Only two things I would add. A, to follow up that quarterfinal at the French Open by playing as many events as he did down the home stretch. He plays both events in Cologne, right? And he hurts his foot at one point and rather than calling it a wrap, he says, no, there's still a few events. I feel good enough. I can keep playing. Obviously, here it ends up with him winning a title and I continue to say this. I've said it on multiple podcasts. I am a criminal about repeating myself, but there's just this look in Yannick Sinner's eyes, right, Jamie? He's just ready to ascend the rankings. He is never afraid of the big stage. He's going to stick to his game plan. He's going to be, you know, stay patient, never, never let the moment get the most of him. Now, that's not to say there aren't still flaws in his game because there are, right? The second serve sometimes hang, hangs up a little bit. It's pretty clear as well. More and more players are watching more film about him. They know, hey, you got to be disciplined about targeting that ad side of the court. And yes, he's going to be able to hit inside in forehands, but be able to anticipate that ball. Certainly, we'll see him get tested more and more throughout the course of 2021, but in terms of the progression you're looking for to go from year-end championship, first major quarterfinal, first ATP title, all in the same year, it's check, 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 right? In terms of he's knocking off all of the boxes on his way to the top of the men's game. 100%. Yeah, he's doing exactly what he needs to, and now it's just, okay, he's got this momentum, don't let it slip, right? And I don't think he will, you know, with how straight-laced he's been and just how great he's looked both on and off court, he seems to have it all together, right? And so you hope that that, of course, continues in the current trajectory, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens in 2021. Yeah, certainly Yannick Sinner, a guy we project as someone with year-end finals in his future. Unfortunately, he is not there yet, but we do have our final ATP-level event of the season, the year-end finals going on in London, as we've talked about on our podcast all week long. It's going to be 
Novak Djokovic, Daniil Medvedev, Alex Zverev, and Diego Schwartzman in one group. Today, we had Nadal versus Rublev, Tsitsipas versus Dominic Team kicking off our event. In terms of the day one results, it was Team winning a three-set battle over Tsitsipas and Nadal. Surprisingly easy, I would say, straight-set performance over Rublev. Jamie, we did learn some things from Sunday's results that I think will be important to note moving forward, but just overall, your thoughts on this event heading into what should be a really fun final week of ATP action. Yeah, I mean, look, generally speaking, I'm really excited. Uh, It feels nice that we get to actually close 2020 out in this fashion. Um, It's been such a weird year, but this puts a bit of normalcy to the end of it. Um, Look, today, I don't want to extrapolate too much out of one match, but Dominic Team and Tsitsipas both looked really good. Um, I think Team is once again putting himself in contention for this title. Nadal looked solid. He didn't blow me away by any means, but he looked solid enough to get through the matches he's at least supposed to win. Um, For me, though, I'm still expecting somebody from the other group to win this thing. Um, I think Djokovic, as he is locked in he just has to be the favorite right now um, and if it's right behind him it might be someone like a Medvedev or a Zverev and all three of those individuals in the other group that we'll see play um, you know later so look I, I think what what has happened so far has been really fun but realistically you know the real stuff happens the next few days <laughs> Here's the thing. I think what we learned today is these courts are playing a little bit slower and a little bit high bouncing, and that obviously benefits both Rafael Nadal and Dominic Team. and we saw that in their levels on Sunday, and certainly that's something important to take note of, but indoor hardcourt, it was a three-set match. Tsitsipas was right there, and certainly he can bounce back against a Nadal or against an Andre Rublev, for Rublev was surprised to see his backhand really struggle under the relentless uh, attacking of the Nadal forehand, and Nadal did such a good job of changing direction Uh, but just overall I still think the winner comes out of that other group I wasn't blown away by anything I saw today I thought Dominic team played really well but I still agree with you I think it's Djokovic Medvedev and then Zverev just because it's an indoor hardcourt and the things those three can do indoor hardcourt being six foot six or being Novak Djokovic I agree with you I'm leaning to the winner coming out from that group but I will be very very surprised if anyone comes out of this event undefeated do you think that's a fair prediction Yeah, I think, again, this comes down to Novak Djokovic. Uh, I think if Djokovic is locked in, he's the one who can go undefeated. I don't necessarily think anyone else can. Uh, that's, That's just how I see it at this point. Yeah, I think that's fair, and we'll see how the action unfolds. Sure, we'll talk about that on next week's episode. But with that in mind, our final segment, today's deciding point. All right, Jamie, we wanted to have a little bit of fun on today's show, and this question actually comes from listener Ryan in Seattle. Thank you, Ryan, and if any of you have similar questions, please feel free to submit them either in the comments or to us on Twitter. But he asked, is it more difficult for a player to win a Grand Slam or a year-end finals. Now, we put this out as a poll on Twitter. It was an overwhelming response. It is more difficult to win a Grand Slam. Jamie, which side of the argument do you fall on? I mean, listen, I could have voted 16 times, all 16, for the Grand (laughs) Slam side. Um, Not saying I did, of course, to skew those results. No, I mean, listen, there's a reason that the people have spoken, um, you know, without being too dramatic here. But listen, I mean, Grand Slam's just harder to win, right? Not only you're competing against way more than just a field of seven others, you don't have the ability to lose a match and still bounce back. You have to be flawless through two weeks. I mean, there's just endless places to go. I'd love for you to try and take the other side so I can respond to that. Because simply put, the Grand Slam is harder to do. 
okay, here's the counterpoint. A, only eight players make a year-end championship. 128 players make a Grand Slam draw. You have a larger opportunity at a Grand Slam. You're just going to have more frequent. There are four of them a year. There are only one year-end championship each and every year. Also, you have to be a top eight player to make the year-end championships, or really a top 10 player, because there's going to be one or two withdrawals. But that means you have to be consistent year in, year out. And then you have to go and beat seven other of the top 10 players in the world. And to accomplish that, I mean, there's a reason Rafael Nadal, plenty of Grand Slams under his resume, 20 as a matter of fact. He's never won a year-end championship. A guy like Stan Wawrinka, a guy like Marin Cilic, they've never won year-end championships. Now, the counterpoint, of course, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Dimitrov, they've all done it in the past four years. None of them have Grand Slam titles. Only Zverev has even made a final. But there's a level of consistency it takes to make a year-end championship. And again, I understand the Grand Slam is more valuable. That's not the argument I'm making. What's more difficult? I would say it's more difficult to win a year-end championship. Listen, if you're one person in that tournament, you're, you'd much rather be in a scenario where you only have to get through a round robin and then play a bracket of four than play flawlessly and not lose for two weeks. Yeah, that's the counterpoint, right? It's you have to go 7-0 and exactly. over the course of two weeks, and on the men's side, you have to do it three out of five sets, which is not something you have to do in the year-end championships. Look, it's tough because you're right. We've seen people go one and two before in the year-end championships and then, you know, make it to uh, the semifinal stages. You can't lose at a Grand Slam. But it's really, really hard to make a year-end final to be a top eight player in the world. I don't know. If you told Rafa Nadal, how many slams do you think Rafael Nadal would trade Zero. for that elusive year-end championship at I this, mean, this point? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. And also, it's like... Zero? The He's fine with the goose neck? Not taking into consideration with Nadal here is the fact that it's an indoor hardcore. So, like... I mean, that's just a surface he's not going to be great on. You already mentioned it. They're yeah. less valuable. So, no, I don't think he's given up any of his Grand Slams just to have this one. Yeah, all right. I, I think that's fair. Well, certainly, if you listeners feel strongly one way or the other, let us know. Tweet at us at Cracked Rackets. Leave your response in the comments to this video. But that will do it for this week's edition of The Deciding Point. Of course, be sure to tune back in next week to hear about how all of this week's action unfolds. If you need to hear an update more frequently, go check out our mini break where we provide our updates on the biggest storylines day in, day out across the professional tennis world. But for my wonderful co-host, Jamie McDonald, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, all of us here at Cracked Rackets. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been watching this week's edition of The Deciding Point. We appreciate it, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.